X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody, Nico Action here, and you guys have heard me for the last two years on 150 episodes along with all of my amazing co-contributors here on X's for Podcast. But this bold new age of X-Men, the hoxpox doc zoss of it all, has reached an inclusivity and diversity that no two, three, four, or even five hosts could hope to match. Going forward, X's for Podcast is adopting a bold new format. This format is going to focus on the inclusivity of the fan experience, featuring dozens of new voices across the next several months, with the same core cast, plus a few more, that you've grown used to. Rather than present you one hour-long roving discussion, we're going to be redistributing our conversations into rooms and giving you guys multifaceted looks from every angle at every issue of the X-Men. We sure hope you guys enjoy. We hope you guys are excited. And we hope you guys survive the experience. Scalibur 12's creative team was Tini Howard as the writer. Artist is Marcus Two. Colors by Eric Arseniega. Lettering by VCs Ariana Marr. And design by Tom Muller. And okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get some shit thrown at me. Like, you know when you just can't get to the shop for a hot minute? Like, you just can't get there. You keep being like, oh, nope, gotta go to the shop. Uh, I'm going Friday. Okay, I'm gonna go Friday and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my books. And that's the excuse I can use to justify why I'm not doing something I really want to do. You know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna justify not reading my books yet because I haven't gone to the shop yet. I definitely bought this at 6 a.m. the day it came out and didn't read it for like five days. And then kicked myself every minute of the day because I just wish someone had said to me, oh, no, you want to read that. That thing reads like a divine assassination of the things that made 90s comics not good while heralding, respecting, and celebrating the things that made them so good. You know, Arturo, you are just the right age to have been like the guy that Rob Liefeld's X-Force and the... Jim Lee X-Men and Will Portacio coming on and transforming the landscape of Uncanny. You were the age for those guys. You were who they were doing it for. Absolutely. You know, and I, how does it feel seeing that shit come due finally? Oh my God, the externals. I loved watching them die. Uh, okay, so yes, very bittersweet thing. Yes, I absolutely remember like going to the comic shops and I remember when Gideon showed up and took Stun Spot with him. I remember the retcon when they revealed that Gideon had taken Sunspot away because he believed Sunspot was the next Eternal, but it turned out it was Cannonball, Sam Guthrie, 
country, none of which is being done, that nothing's being done with any of that at this point. But it is good to see the, the externals or the, you know, come back into the mix. Uh, but yeah, I was a little devastated to see what happened to them. Uh, I wanted to see more, more of Gideon, more of Cruel. It's, you know, a worthy sacrifice, I guess. Well, <laughs> if you ask Daddy A, it sure is. Kyle, you are, you know, you are like the lost children of 90s X-Men in so many ways because it's, I it's didn't funny. get and to I, experience I, it at all. In any form, not then. And there was so much spotty in MU for so long, right? Right. Uh, friend of the pod, Blake. I don't know who here knows uh, Blake of Swords. He's so fucking great. And he has this really funny thing where he says that he's pretty sure that they leave out one issue for Marvel Unlimited that feels like a key issue, even though it's not, just to make you buy the trade. <laughs> and then when you get the trade, they leave an issue out of the trade just to make you buy the hardcover. And then you find out that there's two issues that were in the run left out of the hardcover. So you got to buy the omnibus and then they take the omnibus out of print. So like, you are in so many ways this this sort of like removed from this era. But like it's it's here. How do you feel about this era that like, you didn't really get to know, but you're kind of expected to run with? Um. <sighs> I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but I have to say that the events of this book were freaking phenomenal. This truly did feel like a kickoff to something new. It was, I mean, it's its the end of an era for these characters. They've been sacrificed in order to make something better. And, you know, it's sacrifice to make something better. Like, I just really love how you said that because we're trusting it's a sacrifice to make something better. And something really like, like something really like, just, like dick punched me over and over where when Richter said death no longer has meaning and it's all you've hammered into me for the last six months, I was like, yes, 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 yes. That's what I've been saying about Marvel Comics events going forward. Now that Immortal Hulk and Hoxpox, which, you know, there's actually a great Screen Rant article that came out a couple of weeks after we started having this discussion. I immediately agreed with it. If Immortal Hulk, and now in many ways, Immortal She-Hulk, what's up, Green Door, right? And Hoxpox have kind of invalidated the idea of death as an entity or a concept, as a looming specter over the grandness of the potentiality of superhero stories. You need these fucking heroes to acknowledge that. Stop telling me their lives are so in danger. Because they're kind of not. This is about shell consciousness. This is about the ability to respawn. This is respawning. This is video game respawning. You know what I mean? So, like, oh, it was such a dynamic moment to see come from a guy who's been through the ringer. I don't know who here has followed Richter quite as closely as I have, but my precious Rick has been like, you know when you have a shirt and you love that shirt, but you get a stain on that shirt? Like, perhaps you have the really cutest Dumbo shirt ever in the history of the world, and you wear it to the big E because you're going to see Carly Rae Jepsen, and you want to look really cute when you go see Carly Rae Jepsen with your best friend and your boys, and that's what you want to do, right? So then you get there. And you have really delicious street meat from a food truck and it runs down your shirt. And no matter what you do, you can't get the stain out. But you put it through the washer like 16 or 17 times, hoping this thing that you loved that you took somewhere you loved would be able to come through having done the thing you loved unscathed. And then you put it through the washer another few times and now it's pilly. Now you just can't wear it. Right, so you put it in the dryer and you just sort of accept shit's fucked. Then you make a pillow out of it. Yay. That's what I feel about Richter. <laughs> 
I, I was really happy to see Richter's uh, power upgrade includes him blasting his shirt off his body and fighting uh, bear bear torso for most of this issue it was great. More good more Wolfie shirtless good Richter. Boy. Oh, and because good news, guys. Gideon anime. survived. I I missed that, I guess. But Gideon and Celine survived. So you know what? I'm totally okay with sacrificing the rest of the the uh, externals. Could have maybe kept also, like, Ghost maybe Kendra. kept cruel around, but yeah, I'll take Gideon. Ghost Kendra is so cool. She's like, look at me. I'm a ghost. I'm a sexy ghost, and I'm touching Gambit. I'm a sexy ghost, and it, like I mean, she I. I guess I just projected her into a black box video, but um, she's a sexy ghost, and she's touching Gambit. Yeah, um, I will say as a new reader, I didn't fully understand the connection between the two. It kind of just felt like, I'm your dirty little secret. You want to tell your wife, but you're not going to. I know what you're going to do. You're not going to throw that stone in the gate, and then he did. And I was like, good for you, Gambit. Not, not with some temptress all over your shoulder. Some ghost temptress. <laughs> Kyle, did you find yourself unsure why you should care about Kandra or have they made a compelling enough argument at this point that you're invested? Um, yeah, I, I still don't really understand, but I enjoyed watching her... What, what would we call it? Soul crystal? Soul gem? Uh, thrown into the portal and her energy consumed. Which, funny enough, if you look at the page for Apocalypse's Grimoire, he actually talks about Kandra and her magic stones. Wait, like... You know, he references Kandra uh, in talking for... Part of his plan is m- turning the magic into stones, and he references, look at this section, Kandra. Wow! The level of... like, Okay, so I don't know if perhaps anybody's been paying attention to the Twitter in the last uh, 48, but... There seems to be a a certain a certain we'll call him hands off artist who seems to be very annoyed that the X books are progressing past where he wanted to keep them trapped in the nineties. <laughs> and I can't help but feel as though this is coming out of left field because <laughs> you know, the X Men are evolving. These data pages are fucking terrific, and if you don't want to read them, don't fucking read them. If you don't read the data pages, it doesn't remove anything from the story. It just doesn't add those things. If you're not reading the data pages, you're missing half the story. You're not, but that's just a repulse track race reference. Oh, is it? Yes, it oh, is. is it? And it, but... It's not like I've been with you for like two and a half years or whatever that like I would know a repulse drag race or anything. You've never watched an episode with me. I have never, but you watch it so loud. Now, I made a joke about, you know, slaughter hacky hack on all of the externals, which that's fine. I don't mind. But... I, I kind of want to be like, yo, my precious Saturnine was like, listen up here, perps. I got some problems with you. And Betsy was like, do not fucking step to me. And Saturnine was like, bitch, I will put you in the ground. And I might be a little bit too focused on my buddy Joey and the amazing stuff he's done on Fast and Furious this, cu- this couple of months, right, working with him. But I'm going to be really honest, that was so male. It actually most closely reminded me of, and this is such a weird comparison, but the first fist fight between The Rock and Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious 5, like, it was so masculine. There was nothing like, oh, you've wounded me. Like, they, And of course, it's coming from a woman. So she's going to make sure to make women feel real in the book. But like, that was two generals saying, if you come at me with my army, I will crash down upon you with the fury of God's own thunder, you feckless thug. And like, that was everything I have ever wanted as a Betsy fan. And, you know, I've always been a Saturnine fan. That was like one of the first things I asked Jonah to read when we started dating. I was like, you need to read this era of Captain Britain for me because Saturnine is everything to me. 
And like, I never realized I was this big a Saturnine fan. This particular scene in this in this book really made me interested in learning more about Saturnine. I've really only minorly touched on her previous stories, so I really want to to know more about what she's doing and how she she protects other worlds and the, the multiverse. So just just seeing her upset that there is these uh, pretender Captain Britons and then immediately pivoting to protecting the, the Citadel. I just, I like that. Well, one one thing you'll find if you go digging into Saturnine's backstory is uh, is a very confusing bit that I'm wondering. I'll I'll die if we if we pull on this thread during this this whole. Are you gonna, are you about to bring up Saturnine? Are you I about to bring am, up Saturnine? I am. Oh my god! I need it so bad. You have no idea. So bad. Saturnine was replaced by a different version of Saturnine who was named Saturnine with a number nine in it. Um, yeah, it's Opaluna Saturnine and Saturnine Opaluna. <laughs> it's awesome. Yes, yes. And she was pure evil. Did she come from the that like universe where all the Captain Britons were Nazis or I don't know. She was. I don't think she comes. I don't think she's from Hoptimundian Glands world. I believe she just loved him. She was horrible. She was like she there was no oh is she good or is she bad it was like no she's bad and she's posing as good and uh and is, yeah i'm, I'm curious the... to see if that's going to be uh you know part of this if we're but i don't know that that's so in the weeds i don't know if they're going to pull on it but uh but yeah in my mind this is this is her this is the the darker saturnine in my head is that the same character that replaced courtney ross yes 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 oh i am like and yeah, okay, so you just hit on my my big question. There is, uh, there are three unfortunately identical women in the Marvel universe, and when they put Emma in black, there accidentally becomes a fourth. But Courtney Ross, Saturnine or Saturnine, whichever, Emma Frost. And Lady Mastermind, if you were to put them in a lineup, Scott would literally have to be like, one of you needs to invade my mind for me to know who's who. Because they are so identical. Now, I guess that that's my question. Jonah, who's your badass blonde babe? Now that we've got Saturnine kicking ass, and now that you, you know, you've got your Emma back where she belongs, a queen on the throne. Like, whenever I imagine Emma Frost enters a room, she puts her foot up on something, and control by Poe starts playing. Like, instantly. It's a moment. Right? Who's your blonde babe? It has been, and it always will be, Emma. Uh, you can't, like, you can't look at Emma and go, this piece of trash needs <laughs> everything that she wants because she does. She and she's never gonna get it. Oh my god, I just, I can't, I can't not love her from. Even from her first appearance, Emma Frost was just kind of like, something was special about her. And then we were like, she's got a school. And then she gets the Hellions, and then she's just that much better. And we don't talk about the best body swaps because they're, no, we don't talk about them. But everything about Emma is just something that I love. And I love how nuanced she is. I love, like... I can't, I don't, I, I don't even have the words because I just love Emma so much. I just can't. I'm with you. There's no, there's like just nobody even on her level. I'm sorry. I, 
And as much as I'm enjoying Opal Luna Saturnine, every time I see her on panel, I'm like, you're no on Ross. On some level, that's kind of the filter I see her through every time. Because a lot of people online have been like, oh, is it Opal Luna or is it is it Emma Frost? There's definitely some uh, sometimes some confusion. And uh, no, there's there's nobody like Emma. She's just the greatest. Kyle, I gotta know when you think about badass blondies, who's your badass blondie, babe? Mm, I'm gonna go magic. Oh shit! Here comes number five. <laughs> The Slavic features from Russia. <laughs> I gotta be different. <laughs> I respect it. Now, in if I had my perfect world say, right? In a perfect world, I would I would give everybody their choice of blondie, blondie babes. But here's what I'm gonna add. Can I can I also be a little different? Because I think what I want is the five cuckoos to be able to form some sort of diamond megazord <gasps> and Emma to come in as some sort of diamond dragon zord, right? And then Scott and Cable just sort of get on the ground and form like a human like carrier thing and their Titanus, the ultra sub. <laughs> I think that's the ultimate manifestation of blonde power on the X-Men. Oh, and, you know, Angel's himboing it up in the sky in the background because that's just better for everybody. Arturo, you know, I feel like you are the strongest proponent of the himbo on this show, and I feel like you got himbo-dissed. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take that. Dubious. There was no, there was like no Brian this episode, this issue. Where was the Brian? Listen, don't even ask me about Brian. I'm not, I'm not. I, I get that a lot of people love Captain Britain. Eh. I, Brian Braddock is great, but he's just not, he, he's not somebody that I ever am like looking for. So uh, I don't know. That is fascinating. Yeah. So did you read classic Excalibur in spite of him? No. So, so, okay, here's a, here's a confession. Uh, I still haven't really, really read through all of old classic Excalibur. I got into Excalibur when uh, when they were spelling it with a big X, and it was kind of like they were trying to fold it into you know the the bigger franchise. Uh, that that you know marketing. So the Ellis more, years when yeah. they brought back, yeah, those are some of the best years of any Marvel comic ever. Yeah, so that that worked on me. It definitely kind of pulled me in. But like the more classic Excalibur, you know, Alan Davis and. I, I just, and I've, I've yet to really go back and read it, although I've heard that I need to. And I feel like poor Kyle is also at a disadvantage because so much of Excalibur, as we discussed earlier this episode, was spotty on Moo. So, and Moo, of course, being Marvel Unlimited, as opposed to Hist Moo, which is the history of the Marvel Universe, or Moo, the sound a cow makes. So, I mean, Ex Excalibur wasn't too bad. It was X Factor that was bad. So yeah. Oh, you mean back then? Back then, yeah. It. Oh, on the, on, on Moo, Moo, on finding on files Moo. on Moo. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I think Excalibur is one of the best books. And if I'm gonna say a book wound up a little bit uneven, I would say the Howard Mackey years of X Factor were uneven. Oh, no. got it. No, no, I'm I'm having a slow rolling stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wonder what these crystals that are holding the Pretender Captain Britons are made of, because that same kind of crystal structure has been stated to have been made from the bones of dead ancient mutants in the past. Kyle, I'm going to have a conversation with you at some point <laughs> in the near future about you coming in at the end of episodes going, hey guys, I don't know if you noticed this major connective thing. I think I just solved the, the, the problem to life. Do you guys, guys want to see the solution to life? This is like if we were in an escape room really struggling with a clue and we were like, we don't have any more hints left. And Kyle goes, oh, I have the answer. I've been sitting on this key. Is this the key? Is what we need? <laughs>
that nothing happened with the key. Yeah, I even thought to myself, I'm really happy that Two is on this issue because he'd been on the first issue and he's such an incredible artist. And I said, these red crystals are so different for the Starlight Citadel. And they're not even the same as the pink crystals that are at the Panoopticon in Exiles. So these are a different type of interdimensional stasis crystal than the interdimensional stasis crystals I'm used to. And I'm like... How many interdimensional stasis crystals do I need to be used to at this point? And now I'm like, if they sold a set of them, I would buy it. So clearly, I need them all. What feels like a return to what we wanted out of Excalibur and what it was originally stands for. Excalibur took a really good step in the right direction for keeping us entertained and keeping a collective narrative interacting with the rest of the world of what's going on, even if they're in other worlds. Uh, the Chondra stuff, the old mutants, old bitty mutants getting destroyed by Apocalypse and Richter going full anime. Pretty amazing. And Opal Luna and Betsy kind of having a standoff on who's the baddest bitch in town really uh, was something else. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's good to see all these like disparate threads that, uh, that have been being woven throughout the whole Dawn of X and specifically all the stuff that's been going on at Excalibur. Now seeing it actually coming together uh and it's still puzzling it's still unclear where we're headed uh but it's 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 been a nice payoff to see this stuff starting to to click i just have two questions these are just general questions don't have these are rhetorical what is jamie doing right now and what happened to morgan lefay it's a great question very great very great question last seen on so apocalypse's uh cutting table in moving right along today, guys, we're going to be taking a look at Excalibur number 12, and I am so excited to be covering it with you. We have beautiful writing by Teeny Howard, art by Marcus Two, color art by Eric Arseniega, letterer by VCs Ariana Mayer, design by Tom Muller, and cover art by Mahmoud Asrar and Matthew Wilson. Excalibur's quest to plant a permanent Krakoan gate into Otherworld led them directly to Ovaluna Saturnine, the Omniversal Magistrix, who was none too happy with their meddling in her affairs. Her priestesses attack the team as they approach the Starlight Citadel, and in the midst of the confrontation, Richter jumped through an incomplete Krakoan gate. With Richter's fate unknown and Rogue and Gambit getting into trouble elsewhere in the Citadel, Captain Britain now faces an infuriating Saturnine. And to be honest, none of the Captain Britain Saturnine stuff really did it for me the same way that Richter popping through that Krakoan portal to Apocalypse and the Externals really did it for me. Oh no, agree, agree. It is absolutely because Richter lost his shirt from one battle to the next. Don't you confuse that. Um, no, he is, he is, glo he's glowing, my friends. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> There's something about the structure of the opening of this issue that really is so dynamic to me. I see here on the second page already. Uh, we're already in external forces, and there's that beautiful apocalypse that is just suspended above a four-panel spread, just displaced from the image, and it is dynamic. Every every close-up on Apocalypse's face is just nuanced and precise and beautiful. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it really is a credit to Eric Arseniega because he does such an incredible, although yeah. there is, you know, when, when facing off against, I believe it was Gideon, you know, you damn us and you damn yourself and he's faced with the, the incredible rush of Hellfire, you do see a very gray tone apocalypse and it's it's almost jarring to me. Like, I, I love the way that they, they had the red just completely absolve the blue in his color palette. Yes, yes. 
Yeah. I loved when Richter was going through the gate. It kind of reminded me of whenever they show Storm, you know, in, in her background when she gets, uh, oh, what is that called? Uh, when the, is it the, the plane crashes and the, the building crashes on her. So, like, it really felt claustrophobic when he was going through the gate. Like, just the art and that was like, wow. Oh, it absolutely felt like there was, like, a an undefined amount of space that was closing in on him. The claustrophobia of that page was absolutely real. And then he bursts in this completely like twisted and torqued form you know fully using the power a spire of magma behind him you know and i just want to take a second here we're all you know or at least by my assumption we're all aware the quincunx ritual that we see from the grimoire of a the the ex magica almanac the transmuter in that must have been richter correct oh because yeah absolutely because we see here, neutralize physical components to free up high lord life force. Energy will tend towards the central conduit. Force flows towards the sorcerer. So Richter is a sorcerer now. We're looking at a magical trend that is ticking upward in these books. And I only wish that I were a little bit more versed in magic itself to discuss this. I know I know Nico would be able to uh, to be able to grab the reins here and really uh, really give you a magical what for. But as far as as far as identifying the trend, I definitely see that there is a magical tick uh, trending upward word in in Excalibur and I think Excalibur has been the most overtly magically based book that we've been reading in the Dawn of X era oh gosh absolutely it's been just steeped in magic especially with everything with the Captain Britain stuff um that's really interesting because with X-Men I feel like you don't get that magic really a lot with it so them exploring that has been really interesting to me I like when comics do something new and this feels very new and it, it's grabbed me it's hooked me well you know and it's it's a testament to a conversation we were having in the green room earlier which is in the era that we're in right now which is so mutant focused mutants are still the old news magic is what's new magic is what's driving every force behind this event that we're creeping into we see magic used extensively in some of x-men and uh creation number one so i'm curious to see just how much of a mage apocalypse will be set up to be by the time this is all said and done kendra has one of the best lines in this which is something like i knew that you were taking i knew that you were playing at being sorcerer but this is rich oh my gosh no absolutely um i was gonna say i love how (sighs) kendra appearing with gambit it actually made me feel like gambit really had a purpose because they had that history together so like before gambit's kind of role was you know just anti-apocalypse anti-a but now like it really tied into that and the the thieves guild too that's that's always been kind of magic even though it's not really i will say like gambit and rogue are some of my favorite characters as well and so it's so nice to see them having a slightly bigger role um, I hope they continue to have a bigger role coming up, but it was nice to actually like have something with them. As far as the actual characterization of Saturnine, and maybe this is from not having read a particularly large amount of Saturnine myself, but that cattiness and pettiness remove her from her office in my mind. Does that make sense? So for me, it definitely came off as really catty, especially that that she isn't getting her way is kind of what it felt like. Like she's used to not getting her way and that uh, Betsy now is kind of a bit more of her own person than she's used to and she can't manipulate her quite as much. And so she's just a little bitter about it. 
you know, and that that bitterness to me read kind of as obstinance. I especially as as I promised we would stop talking about, but we can't seem to stop talking about as as seen in creation as well. It is a a carrying forward of this characterization of Obaluna Saturnine as being as reserved and removed as she is. And I understand a character in her position being the Magistrix of the Omniverse, being cold and removed, which is why it is surprising to me to see someone stoop to pettiness and cattiness in that position. Yeah. I think that is why it didn't it didn't read well to me. And it was nothing about the character because again, I, I thought that I, I think the art is absolutely stunning. I think there's not enough that we can talk about in terms of the art. Yeah, no, I kind of felt the same way, especially, I mean, I haven't gone back and read all the old Captain Britain ones, but with our old our old Excalibur um, portrayal, it really, I, maybe the only thing I'm thinking is that, that since she's not being the master manipulator and since she can't control it, it's just throwing her for a loop. I could definitely see that. Actually, through that lens, I do appreciate it much more. So I appreciate your contextualizing it for me. I was surprised to see the return of the Excalibur core as the Captain Britain core preserved in crystal. Yeah, I like that a lot. That was a big shock to me because I didn't quite see that storyline panning out. It's it's a little bit of a critique of Excalibur's pacing here where we're at the end of issue 12, which we can safely assume is going to be the end of volume two. There are a number of parallels between the end of volume one and the end of volume two here, both with having a gate uh, initiating ritual. And I was expecting to see a little bit more loose ends tied up here. If we were going to feature the Excalibur core as the Captain Britain core here, I was expecting to see them in an active role, not a passive role. And it feels like they they only were set up for Opaluna Saturnine's little monologue about Betsy not being that important in the purview of just how many Captain Britons there have been and just how many rogue realities there are. And just because you pick up the amulet and swear yourself to service doesn't mean that you're accepted. Like, maybe she doesn't like Betsy, or maybe she just really likes Brian. Like, maybe she just yeah, probably. really has a <laughs> big old omniversal heart yeah. on Brian. Uh, but some of the uh, Captain Britain core actually ended up being Betsy and, and even Megan yeah. a few times, but <laughs> always after Brian. So. Something else that I really read into that entire exchange as well was that even though they're gone, they still have power and meaning and Betsy just hasn't proven herself yet. So I all read it as a challenge as well, where it's like, what all they did, they're still in our memories. What are you going to do to be part of their ranks? The in, like the random information dump that we get, like, I appreciate some of the information dumps, but just having this wall of text just explaining what's happening, saying, oh, if they die, their power goes to everyone else. And then you they can all be in a gem. It's like, oh, gee, I wonder what's about to happen. And that's out of the comic slightly being like, just told us everything. Instead of telling me, just show me. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, they did make the externals interesting to me for the first time in like forever. So and what better way to make them interesting than to kill off all but three of them? Right. <laughs> it was still interesting for sure. I think it's it's an excellent point to bring up what exactly are the consequences of the ramifications yeah. of this ritual. Does this mean that the gate will become weakened or inactive over time with the reappearance of the externals several years from now when they reincarnate themselves? I personally would say no. 
I think that it has more to do with the actual if we're if we're taking this concept of mutant magic at face value and we're looking at the concept of ancient bones I highly doubt that any of these bodies that were charred by the magma of Richter are going to reincarnate in the same physical vessel that they died in. So I would argue that the gate is established and is now functioning of its own magical accord. I don't think that there's going to be any way that that is stricken down with the reappearance of the externals. But I also don't particularly feel like this is a, a venue or, or a location that we'll be returning to very often. I have a feeling the external gate lives and dies with ten of swords yeah so i go by comic underscore canary on instagram and twitter um i'm just a huge nerd on there and i actually run my own podcast called Tolkien about it where i am going through a read-along with uh, my dad actually uh on all of the Tolkien books starting with lord of the rings because something that shames me deeply is my only geek cred thing that I don't have is I've actually never read them before. So my dad actually on it. <laughs> so we're both kind of just going through and reading it from like the two different perspectives. And that's always a lot of fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dazzler ALA. Also where Aniko and I are running a Kokoan remix karaoke event. So we're doing four different, uh, categories so event one is going to be age of hellfire where hellfire club takes over the u.s and what changes go from there um you can go online to twitter it's a great fan opportunity for fan artists and fan writers to get together and create something new and unique so hopefully you guys will go and check out the kokoan remix karaoke project Asleep at the W-E-I-L on Twitter or asleep at the W-E-I-L.com is my website where I've got uh, review videos, recap articles, um, galleries for uh, old X-Men comics. What about you, Maddie? Where do we find you? As always, you can find me right here on Cage Club Network as well as on Instagram at, at the basically covetous man. And before we part, something worth saying and something worth repeating. Black Lives Matter queer and trans dreams matter, women's reproductive rights matter, and your vote matters. It is important now more than ever to hold space for people of marginalized communities and diminished voices in such a time of social unrest. Be cautious and mindful in your words and your actions, and remember that the only bias that is appropriate is one that protects the rights and lives of others. And as always, keep those Krakoan lights lit. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, that's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Arturo, where can everybody find you? You can find me playing with toys and screaming into the void at Mr. Toy Box on Twitter and Instagram. That's M-I-S-T-E-R-T-O-Y-B-O-X. Jonah, where can everybody find you?
you can find me putting myself in an energy crystal to then haunt Nico and Kevo because I feel like that'd be kind of funny as a bit. And then I'd have to come back because it'd be like, where's Jonah? On Twitter and Instagram at peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? Guys, you can find me for the next 10 weeks celebrating the amazing that is X of Swords each week with this incredible gang of people, bringing in more diverse and inclusive voices to make sure that everybody feels represented here on Krakoa. Of course, if you're looking to find me elsewhere, you can find me being loud and annoying over on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or you can find me on all of the feeds of this amazing channel, like Too Fast, Too Forever. I think I said all, but I'm just on a bunch. Too Fast, Too Forever, all fall long. Don't forget to check me out on HTML, my amazing project I do with my husband Jonah's boyfriend, the incredible Kevo, as we take a look at the Fantastic Four franchise for the remainder of the year. And guys... Real quick, I just want to mention, it goes without saying, but just in case someone else needs to hear it one more time for everybody in the back, Black Lives Matter, Trans Dreams Matter, and you have to vote like everyone's life depends on it because, by goodness, this election cycle, it sure does. Guys, we can't wait to have you back here on Krakoa, and until we return, keep those Krakoan gateways open and those mutant lights lit, and we'll see ya.